0: we're so glad that you've tuned in to the rolling hills community church sermon podcast my name is kendall kearns and i'm the student worship leader we're now in the fifth week of our current series Masterclass. the fifth chapter of the gospel of mark shows jesus restoring lives in amazing ways jesus displayed his power to cast out demons heal the sick and even revive the dead let's dive into scripture to experience these awesome moments which reveal the power and glory of jesus and now here's this week's sermon
1: Good morning. How's it going? My name is Chase Baker and I am the family pastor here at Rolling Hills, if you're a guest here, let me introduce myself to you. And, uh, and so I'm really excited about the series we're in. We're in a series called Masterclass, as you know. And we are in week five of this series. And this series is going for 16 weeks. And what we wanted to do, we've never done this, but we're doing, um, kind of taking the whole book of Mark. We're doing an inductive Bible study through the book of Mark, which is really cool. I'm looking forward to seeing what God has in store for us uh, throughout this series. Now, uh, one of the running themes that we're gonna notice throughout this series is this, this idea of restoration that Jesus restores lives. And as you go through the book of Mark, that's what you'll begin to understand. And here's the thing, we love this idea of restoration. You love it, I love it. I love old things becoming new. That's why we're drawn to shows like overhauling. I don't know if you're a car guy, but, but overhauling. They take old cars like this and it's rusted out, interior is gone, and I'm thinking, let's just take it to the junkyard because that has no purpose, but somebody, looks at it and says, man, I could do something with that. They restore it. They restore it and it's made new. They give it new life and new purpose, right? Maybe you're a car guy or maybe you're an HGTV type of person. Maybe you like the whole remodeling of homes and restoration of homes and taking a dilapidated house and making it brand new. You're drawn to shows like Fixer Upper, right? You're drawn to shows like Dream. Uh, Dream Home Makeover, or if you're above 35 in the room, you remember Extreme Home Makeover, a home edition, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. You remember that? Ty Pennington, crazy hair construction guy going in and redoing a house. And then they put the bus in front of the house. You guys remember that? The bus is in front of the house. The family hasn't seen it. So family and friends are behind the bus. And on the count of three, they say, move that. Thank you class participation. <laughs> Move that bus. And what we're going to see, what, what I love about that is a celebration, everything is old, being made new. And today we're going to take a look at a storyline in the life of Jesus about restoration in, in obvious ways, but also in not so obvious ways. And the question I have for you today, before we even start, is this. Are you needing an overhaul in, in your life? Do you need something to be fixed up? Do you need a move that bus type of moment in your life? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe there's something going on in your marriage. You need it to be restored. Maybe it's in need of a, a healing of some sort. Maybe you, you need something to happen in your relationship with God. In fact, whether you're watching online or you're in the room today, that, that you're giving this thing one last shot. You're giving this faith thing one last shot Well, I, I believe that God has a plan for you to be here today. As we jump into Mark chapter five, I believe he has a word for us. And here's the a, here's a thing, here's a warning that I'm gonna give to you. Because sometimes, I don't know if you're like, like me, sometimes you can come in church, you can come into these places and you can have your own agenda about what you wanna see happen. I wanna hear this, I wanna experience this and this is how I wanna feel. But sometimes it's not what we want, but God's trying to do something about what we need. Maybe that's for you today. So before we jump into the text, let me pray over it. Father, we love you, we're grateful. God, my prayer will always be that we are forever changed by your words. Your words is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So God, I pray that you change us from the inside out today. We would leave here as changed people having experienced your word. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have your copy of scriptures, Mark chapter five, mobile device. You can turn mobile device. going to be on the screen as well. And so here we are in Mark chapter five, at the beginning of the chapter, something crazy happens, but let's go back just a little bit because something crazy happened before this moment. Last week, Pastor Jeff led us through Mark chapter four. And the end of that chapter is Jesus on water and he's in a boat with his disciples and a storm came up. It's being rocked by wind and waves. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. Jesus, what are you doing? And the disciples are like, they're freaking out, right? Why is Jesus sleeping? We're gonna die. It's gonna capsize. And so the disciples go wake him up, shake him. He gets up and says, you of little faith, why are you afraid? The disciples didn't quite know what they got themselves into. They're like, what did we say yes to this guy? They didn't understand this guy. And he calms the sea with a spoken word. He shows his authority over weather. And then they travel to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. When they travel to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they get off the boat and here coming down the hill is a homeless man who seemed to be crazy. He was insane. He was out of his mind. In fact it says in the text that he was he was possessed by a legion of demons that word legion means about four to 6,000 demons lived inside of him. He was, he was possessed by that. And guess what Jesus did? He did a God thing. He, He spoke to the demons. He cast them out into a group of pigs. The pigs went over a cliff and drowned in the water. And he, Jesus, then he shows his authority over power, he shows his power and authority over evil spirits. He shows his power and authority over Satan in that moment. And, and he did a God thing because in that moment, the man was immediately restored. Mind, body, and soul, mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, he was restored. He was made whole. Incredible. Now we follow a different storyline. He jumps in the boat with his disciples and he makes his way across the sea back to Capernaum, which is his home base History. ministry. He gets to the other side and this is where we pick up in verse 21. He says this, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Always crowds following Jesus because of the amazing things that he was doing. Verse 22, then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came. And when he saw Jesus he fell at his feet. Now I want you to know something here. Is it look at Capernaum and and in the middle of this town was a synagogue, was a temple. It was a pretty large one. And, and in that temple, um, that, there was a priest. That man, his name was Jairus. Jairus would have been a man of great devotion to God. Okay, he was all about God, great devotion to God. He was morally respectable. He was a figure that had a lot of wealth, probably social prominence here. And, and in fact, um, it's probable that um, because the Pharisees were the ruling party of the day in Israel, that he would have been a Pharisee, which was anti-Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. They thought he was crazy. They thought he was a trickster. They thought he was a charlatan. They didn't like him. They were totally anti-Jesus. Now, knowing that from Jairus' perspective, going to the feet of Jesus would have been career suicide. Here was a leader of the synagogue. Here was a religious leader, a Pharisee, a priest, bowing down at the feet of Jesus, a man who was causing disruption in the religious system of the day. He was bowing to the feet of Jesus. This guy must have been desperate. Why? What was the problem? What was going on with this guy that would call him to, uh, it caused him to bow at the feet of Jesus, a Galilean carpenter. This is what happened. Verse 23, he pleaded earnestly with him. My little girl is dying against me. Please come and put your hands on her so that she would be healed and that she would live. I can imagine that Jairus is wrestling in this moment, what to do, what do I, what do, I do? Do I go to Jesus or do I not? I know it's gonna be career suicide, but but what do I do? The urgent, it's urgent right now. His little girl was sick, and i imagine at this point, he's done everything that he could. He, he's asked all the doctors to check her out. Nothing seems to be working. He's taken all, the, she's taken all the medicine that she possibly could. And then her prayers, or his, his prayers, He prayed all the prayers, but nothing seems to be happening. Nothing seems to work. And can you get a sense of what Jairus is feeling in this moment? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been desperate? Have you ever been desperate? Received a diagnosis that wasn't favorable? You needed some sort of healing. You've experienced brokenness of some sort. Maybe your family seems to be falling apart and you're desperate. You see, it was six years ago and 30 days ago today that my wife and I were standing in a hospital room next to a baby bed and we just received a diagnosis that the doctors came in and told us this diagnosis and there was so much uncertainty around it. In that moment, we were desperate for healing and we still are. desperation. I can feel so much pain. Can you? Can you feel the pain in this daddy who's going to Jesus at the feet of Jesus, pleading on behalf of his little girl? And you know what You know what happens in desperate situations? You know, desperate people do desperate things. And sometimes crazy things tend to happen when we, we are desperate. It doesn't have to necessarily be, have anything to do with medical either. Get this. Whenever we um, when anxiety becomes overwhelming or temptation becomes too great, we can throw in everything for, a, for momentary relief, right? We can throw in everything. Desperation can lead us to dishonesty at work. Desperation can lead us to pursue a relationship that is not good for us. It lead us to, into places we never should be in the first place. Desperation can also lead to addiction. You see, desperation compels us to dependency compels us to dependency. In our desperation, we will tend to gravitate towards things that we will eventually depend on, right? We'll eventually be depend on those things. We go to a story in the Old Testament. Anybody remember the story of Esau? I mean, Esau was, um, was this uh, burly guy that would go out and he would hunt. I mean, God designed him that way. He loved to be in the wilderness. He loved to hunt. He had a brother named Jacob. Jacob was at home. He liked to be at home. He liked to cook. And one day, one day when Esau was out hunting, it took him a long journey, a few days, he came back and he was hungry. He was desperate for food and he walked in the house and there is, um, there's Jacob fixing the food. He fixed the bowl of soup and Esau was desperate for food and, and Jacob was like, okay, I'll give you this bowl of soup, but you have to sell me your birthright. So in that moment, Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of soup whenever he was desperate. You see, in that moment he failed to believe the promise that Jesus affirms in Philippians 4:19. It says this, "My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus." But desperation caused Esau to look around him for a solution instead of looking to God. He relied on his own ability to meet his need and gave up a lifetime of blessing for a for a moment of satisfaction, for a moment of satisfaction. And get this, you know, in the Old Testament, whenever they're going through lineage and they say, they say the father of of Abraham, the father of Isaac and the father of Jacob, do you remember that? It really should have been the father of Abraham, the father of Isaac and the father of Esau. He sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Let me give you this reminder. Let's not give up God's best for us for something that will only leave us hungry again. Let's not give up God's best for us for something that will only leave us hungry again. But here we find a man in desperation at the feet of Jesus and he pleads with Jesus, heal my daughter. And Jesus went with him. And Jesus decided to go on this journey with this man. And and here's the thing. Here's a story within the story. Here's where the plot line tends to shift right here because something else happened on their journey. Let's continue to read verse 24. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. In other words, she had not been simply suffering from a disease. She was suffering from the cure. She had exhausted all of her resources, everything that she had. She gave to give to her medical bills, any kind of medical thing that she could take, all the medicine. And here's the thing. This woman was considered unclean. And back then, whenever you had a disease, the reason why you had a disease, people thought it was because of your sin. And so they didn't wanna be around you. In fact, she wasn't allowed to go into temple to worship. She wasn't allowed to touch anybody else. Nobody was allowed to touch her. She was considered unclean. She was an outcast. She was desperate. She was desperate. Listen to what happens. When Jesus, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in a crowd and touched his clothes because she thought, if I could only touch him, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And at once, Jesus realized the power had gone out from him. He turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched me? And his disciples were like, what are you talking about, man? Like we're in a crowd of people. There are a lot of people touching you at this point in time. Who, what do you mean who is touching you? Then verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around to see what, who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I want you to notice something here. It was her faith that healed her, it wasn't the fact that she was next to Jesus or close to Jesus. It wasn't through somebody else that she was healed. It wasn't through grandmama's faith that she was healed. It wasn't through anybody's faith that she was healed. It was her faith that healed her both physically and spiritually. In her desperation, she was compelled to have this radical faith. And that's what desperation tends to do. Desperation compels us to have radical faith. It compels us to have radical faith. Hundreds of people were touching Jesus, but Jesus only made one connection with one woman that had faith. She did, she was spiritually and physically desperate. She did what was unthinkable and unacceptable. She reached out to Jesus and touched him and she did so in faith. We've got to get that picture. And, and she's instantly healed and she knows it. God did an extraordinary thing in her life and she has this unbelievable joy that wells up inside her because for 12 years, she, she was not whole. And Jesus made her whole in this moment and, and Jesus at once perceives a loss of power. His power just goes out from him. And here's the thing, Jesus takes her uncleanness and her sickness and replaces it with purity and health. That sort of fulfills the prophecy in Isaiah 53 that says this Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken him, and afflicted. Jesus looks for the one who's touched him by faith. The woman falls down and confesses everything, and he does three things he welcomes her into the kingdom right? He welcomes her in the continuum. He commends her for their faith and he provides her with peace. He does three things. Welcome to the kingdom, commends for faith, and then he gives peace. She experienced salvation both physically and spiritually. This is exactly what Jesus wants to do in our lives. He sees our brokenness. He wants to take our sins and make us whole through faith in him. What about faith faith is this faith is the foundation everything is built on everything is built on faith faith influences our decisions faith uh, faith when you decide to pursue certain things you decide to pursue certain things in faith when you decide not to do certain things you decide not to do certain things because of your faith faith also will always make jesus bigger than your problems Will always make Jesus bigger in your problems. The woman believed Jesus was the answer and believed that Jesus could do the unbelievable. And faith is this, faith tends to remove fear. We see in Isaiah 5, 41, fear not for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. 2 Timothy 1:7, for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of self-control. I'm blown away by people who have this kind of faith, aren't you? That are going through difficult circumstances, they're going through hard times in this life, and somehow, someway, they make statements like this, God is so good, what? God has a plan for my life, God has a purpose, there is purpose in the pain. I'm expecting God to do great things. Or, I don't know what's gonna happen, but all I know is that when everything seems to to be out of control, God has things under control. I long for that kind of faith, don't you? A resilient type of faith, a faith that continues to pursue Jesus even in the difficult times. So we have this story within the story. Now let's go back to Jairus for a second, all right? Let's go back to this journey with Jairus because I'm gonna imagine in this moment, Jairus's anxiety is getting pretty high. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Because I just told you my little girl was dying, and we're making our way there, and you delay. We don't have time. The disciples are frustrated. There's an irritation that's going on. This woman had a chronic condition that could have waited, but, but Jesus needed to meet the needs of an acute condition that could not be delayed. Why are you choosing to stop and heal this woman? In fact, not only did he stop, he, he healed the woman and then he stopped to address it. And then she gave her story. Have you ever heard somebody give their story? It takes forever. And so she's telling this story and Jesus is patiently waiting and Jairus is frustrated. Come on, let's get this going. But Jesus is patient, he will not be hurried. And in the moment I'm thinking, this doesn't make sense. This is irrational. In fact, this is malpractice. Because if you were in an emergency room and both of these people were in emergency room, the, the, the woman and the little girl and the doctor treats the woman the doctor would be sued because the situation was urgent for the little girl. He was, it was malpractice. And and see what he was doing, it was really, it seemed like it was reckless. Jairus and his disciples must be thinking, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Jesus, hurry, Jesus, hurry. But he's not gonna be hurried. And he's standing there talking to the woman and the the unimaginable happened with Jairus. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, your daughter is dead. Leave the teacher alone, he can't help you anymore. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. Yeah, right, Jesus, yeah, right. What we find is the more we put our faith and trust in God, we begin to understand something here. God's timeline doesn't always make sense. His timeline doesn't always make sense. Maybe you're waiting for your own healing to happen. Maybe you're waiting for a miracle to happen in your life and things are not happening the way that you think that they should. And it's causing you a little bit of anxiety. It's causing you a little bit of frustration, you see, God's sense of timing does not operate on our timetable. The way that God works, his grace rarely operates according to our schedule. When Jesus looks at Jairus, he says, trust me, be patient. I'm up to something. It's like Jesus saying, I know what I'm doing. And whenever you try to impose your understanding on my timetable and on my schedule, you will struggle to feel loved by me. Jesus' delay did not mean that he was denying. Jesus's delay did not mean that he was denying. You see, Jesus was up to something. It may mean that Jesus is up to something bigger and better. Jesus wants to do something greater in the life of Jairus in this moment. Verse 37, he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with the people crying and wailing loudly. Let's pause here for a second because this is kind of bizarre. But back in those days, um, you would hire professional mourners after somebody had died. These professional mourners would, would be, I mean, they would they would be put on a show, okay? They would put on a show for the funeral. They would put on a show for the, the person that, that had just died. And so they are ripping shirts. I mean, it's crazy. It's a commotion. They're ripping their shirts, or ripping out hair. I mean, they're getting paid to do this, to cause this commotion, to grieve on behalf of this family and Do it really, really loud. And Jesus is walking into the room and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The girl is not dead. She's asleep. And their response was what? (laughs) They laughed at him. And Jesus did what? Get out. Get out. Let me just pause for just a moment and just say, Jesus didn't need skepticism or negativity. We live in a world that's full of skepticism and negativity, right? Like we our, our lives and our minds are filled with it every day. Just turn on the news for a second. You're going to get all the negativity that you want to ever hear. And we're allowing that maybe into our life. And some of you are so consumed by it that you can't see past to what God is doing. And I go back to, sometimes when we get we, 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 our minds are drawn to negativity and skepticism, we can miss the blessing that God has for us. You go back to the Old Testament, you go back to the Israelites who are just freed from slavery. They make their way to the edge of the, the promised land by the Jordan River, they're looking across. And if you remember, uh, Moses sent out 12 spies. The 12 spies went, explored the land. Two came back, Caleb and Joshua, and, and they said, man, it's amazing. Like they were so positive about it, man. It's amazing. God has, God promised this land. Let's go conquer it. It's flowing with milk and honey. It is amazing. And then the other 10 came back and what? We can't do it. There's giants in the land. There's no way that we could pursue. The Israelites decide to follow the 10 instead of the two. And a whole generation died off and didn't experience the blessing that God had for them because they chose to follow negativity and skepticism. Don't allow negativity and skepticism to displace your faith in a holy God, a perfect God who has a plan for us. Next, we see Jesus kicking him out. And then this happens. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and he went in to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at that, they were astonished. They were astonished. I love that picture. He's like, he just, he just told the little girl, get up. Let's get, something, let's get something to eat. Let's get some Chick-fil-A. <laughs> and, and, and let's. this girl is now healed. The little girl was restored because of a dad who desperately went to the feet of Jesus. As, you, as your family pastor, I feel like it's my responsibility to give you this point. Parents need to desperately go to Jesus on behalf of their children. We have to. We get this idea of physical sickness. We, get, we want our babies to be healed. We want them to be physically um, better. But, but what's even more, there's a greater battle going on in this world. There's a spiritual battle going on in this world. We have a world that wants to capture the hearts of the next generation, and they're doing a pretty good job out of it. You know, let, me, let me give you this. Our kids are not naturally going to be drawn to the things of God. Our kids are not gonna naturally be drawn to the things of God. Can I say it again? Our kids are not gonna naturally be drawn to the things of God. They're gonna have so many things that are coming at their attention that's gonna pull them, remove them away from Jesus. They're gonna distract them from Jesus. But our job as parents is to introduce them to Jesus, to continue to do that moment after moment after moment. Why? Because eternity is at stake. You don't have to be perfect. You're gonna make mistakes, but, but, but you do have to be intentional about it. We don't have time to waste. And it's my job to remind you that you don't have time to waste. Last week, I was standing on the stage and I was had about 35 high school seniors up here that are about ready to graduate and move on to their next step into life. Today at three o'clock, we're doing a baby dedication on this same stage. There are 900 weeks between both of those. And if you are a parent in your room, you know that it goes by so fast. Especially when you get to the end of the year right now. You have those end of the year's programs. I mean, I'm watching my little girl sing uh, end of the year preschool program. And you're like, where, where did time go? Psalm 90 verse 12 says this, teach us to number our days that we would gain a heart of wisdom Teach us to number our days that we would gain a heart of wisdom. We don't have time to wait. And parents who desperately go to Jesus simply realize something. They realize this. Only Jesus can satisfy their kids' deepest need. See, we're always in the, we always want our kids to behave. I get it. I want my kids to behave too. We're all about behavior modification. But, but let me just tell you, that doesn't change a heart and mind. Only Jesus can change a heart and mind. We've gotta be intentional about how we lead the next generation to know and follow Jesus. Ultimately for Jairus and the woman who was healed, it was desperation that led to restoration. Here's your final, almost. Desperation leads to restoration. Desperation leads to restoration and Jesus is telling and showing us that he has authority to restore. You go throughout the whole text You go from his ability, he says, man, I have authority and power over weather. And then he goes, I have authority and power over demons. And then he goes, I have authority and power over disease. And then he goes, I have authority and power over death. And I'm thinking, for Jairus and his family, there's a celebration, Obviously, man, it was like, man, they're cheering so loudly. Yes, Jesus, yes, Jesus. But why did he take him on this journey? You know, Jesus could have healed him in that moment when Jairus was at the feet of Jesus. Jesus said, sure, I wanna heal her. I'm just gonna speak and she's gonna be healed. I don't even need to go to your house. But he decided to go with him. And on the journey, there was an interruption. And because of the interruption, his daughter died. Why did he let his daughter die? Because he knew this about Jairus. Jairus didn't need to see a healing. He needed to see a resurrection. And I wonder how many people are walking around, maybe sitting in these seats, you're looking for a fever cure, but what you really need is a resurrection. That's what Jairus needed. That you're spiritually dead. And Jesus wants to make you spiritually alive by taking your sins and removing it, taking that sin and removing it and replacing with his purity and with his health through his death, burial, and resurrection. You see, Jesus has the ability to conquer death. That's why he can conquer sin. And he wants to do that in our lives. You see, here's the thing. Jesus not only wants to restore lives, but he wants to resurrect them. Are you in need of a resurrection today? Maybe you're looking for a healing, but what you really need is a resurrection. You need Jesus to invade your life and take away that sin. You finally need to trust him with your life. Put your faith in Jesus. ask you a couple questions are you desperate for him to show up on your behalf? Will you put your complete trust and faith in him? Will you allow Jesus to transform your heart and your mind? He's looking for those who are reaching out to him in faith. And I wanna tell you, he does not disappoint. See, I I believe this whole text and what we're gonna see in Mark, the book of Mark is Jesus. Yeah, man, he he wants to restore us on this earth. But man, more than that, he cares about our eternity. He cares about your heart. He cares about where you're gonna be after your body goes away. Have you put your trust in him today? Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. God, you are so intimate with us. You are the healer. You want to restore our lives. You want to resurrect what is dead and make it and and bring it to life. And so, God, I'm grateful for that. That's what you've done for us. God, I pray for those in the room that have said yes to you, that they are followers of Jesus, and, and they're just needing something to happen in their life. And God, you, God, I pray that you breathe that breath of life into them, that you renew their relationship. that you would capture hearts and minds. But God, I pray for those in the room that are not yet put their faith and trust in you. and, And they're trying to look for answers in lots of different ways, in lots of different areas of their life. And God, you're looking for them to kneel at your feet and say, I'm desperate. I need you. I need you to restore my life. I need you to re- resurrect my life. Father, I pray that if anybody in the room that is, has this stirring, God, I pray that you call their hearts to respond in this moment that they would say yes, because you want to be their father and you want to give them life. And we're grateful for these moments that we can have to worship you and honor you and we're reminded in this moment that, that God, you're in the business of restoration and we're so thankful for that. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: You've been listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, we hope you will tell a friend about us and subscribe so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Be sure to explore our other great podcasts like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, you can download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. See you next time, and God bless.